Welcome to Mortification of Spin. Carl, Todd, and Amy are all hanging out in a West Virginia tavern. We find them talking about Christian niceness. Is it wrong to be mean and conservative evangelicalism? Is niceness the highest calling for a Christian? Writing as a pyromaniac for years, Dan Phillips has become something of an expert in evangelical niceness. Listen to Dan and the crew make even more enemies and dig themselves in even further. This is Mortification of Spin with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird, a weekly podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We can only continue Mortification of Spin with your support. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. Keep listening after the podcast for a chance to win the MP3 anthology of the first season of Mortification of Spin. Well, it's great to be here today. We're actually uh, broadcasting from a biker bar in West Virginia in order to make sure that, that Amy Nunchuck's bird didn't have to drive. <laughs> She's got a rather bad record of shooting tolls and being pulled aside by the yeah. cops just yeah. recently. Yeah. And these sur- I do want to car- point out, Carl, that these surroundings are nothing like the Patrick Swayze movie Roadhouse. <laughs> no, no. Um, far less sophisticated. Far less sophisticated. <laughs> and, I, and I see no one around here with beautifully feathered hair. So. Yeah, and I was slightly worried by what looked like the, the human bones lying in the car park outside <laughs> with the teeth marks on them. But, uh, That's the problem. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we're sitting here having a nice uh, uh, glass of scotch, chatting to my friends. Um, Todd, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the PCA, still going downhill or any news to report there? Um, I'm still uh, happily uh, associated with the PCA. After sure. six, six months? Uh, yeah, yeah, That's exactly. Incre- sure, yeah, you, I mean, we, we, we have... John MacArthur of the PCA now. I, I, I am. I have quite the, uh, the tenure. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about being in the PCA. Carl, I know that uh, it'll never be quite as uh, narrow and angry as the OPC. Uh, we still do have a bit of a sense of humor, um, although although I will say I'm not sure if we have much of a sense of humor about ourselves. We do have a good sense of humor about the OPC. <laughs> yeah, though. that's that's very true. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, you know, if ever you wanted to to join a, a Presbyterian mm. church, I'm yeah. sure the OPC would be would be very welcome to have you if you'd pass the examinations. Uh, Th- that would be the the, the key is passing uh, the examinations. Although, um, you know, the whole idea of uh, of your slogan "Heroes of Exclusive Psalmody" uh, doesn't quite uh, uh, <laughs> resonate with me uh, right now. I've but, actually uh, had a couple of people in my congregation ask me. Uh, you know, they say. You know, Carl and Todd always seem to be sort of going at each other on the podcast. Do you do you really despise him? And I, I want to confirm that yes, <laughs> I I really do despise this man I, uh, and I hate, everything he yeah, stands for. Yeah, I hate Carl, and uh, so uh, we we typically have to do these things remotely because we can't stand to be in the same room yeah. together. That's why we need a few drinks uh, to go down. It's, it's what makes me kind of nervous about being around Amy when she's armed uh, because she's had like two boiler makers and. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's that's a bit frightening. Well, that's what I was going to say. We're in a West Virginia biker bar, and we're yeah. not ordering scotch. We're ordering Jack. Oh, well, of course. Of and course. you are actually sitting there with your nunchucks. And I got my nunchucks Could you, could you with rattle me? them for yeah. the listeners? And so you guys cannot get out of hand. No, no, no. No, absolutely <laughs> not. And, and it's so, you know, we're in here minding our own business, and lo and behold, we see uh, Dan Phillips over here drinking a sweet tea. Oh, we've got to be careful there, because Amy has tried to ban us from talking to the Team Pyro boys, because she says they're a bad influence. <laughs> they, they are. Dan Phillips and, and Frank Turk are both very uh, mean uh, men. Although I will say, of the two of them, we probably have the nicer one uh, hanging out with us today. Yeah, Frank has cried off. He was meant to be here, but 
I think all of this trash talk about Amy has finally uh, finally got to him, mm-hmm. and he's off uh, selling windmills to people who believe in global warming. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Frank Turk is a radical environmentalist, after all. So. But we we want to talk to to Dan about something that we know he specialises in, mm-hmm. and that is niceness, the importance of niceness to the Christian faith. Some of you will know that there was a a council in uh, 325 in modern-day Turkey, the Council of Nicaea. (laughs) And Nicaea established as absolutely basic to Christianity that we have to be Nice That's where it uh, came to each from. other. Yeah. Hence, Nicene Christianity. Thank you for the history yeah. lesson, there. Dan. It's uh, great to, to welcome you uh, today for our discussion of Nicene Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> to be here. Does this place serve Lagavulin? <laughs> Not to dispensationalists. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Might, might need my uh, nunchucks if you don't order that. Yeah. Todd likes those blue things with the umbrellas in them. But, blue, uh, blue things, know. umbrellas, uh, pineapple wedges, whatever they you can fit in there. You get beaten up in this bar if you try to order one of those things. <laughs> that is right. So. That's right. That's right. I got your all's back, though, so don't mm-hmm. worry. <laughs> so, so, Dan, uh, we, we've, we've chatted with you and Frank uh, before. Uh, of course, you all are, are known, among other things, because of the, uh, the blog site Pyromaniacs, which is really uh, a, an aptly named uh, title because – you all seem to regularly violate the canons of niceness um, mm-hmm. on your on your blog. Um, is there a reason for this uh, violation of the uh, evangelical uh, aesthetic? Well, no. <laughs> uh, well, there is. I mean, it's you know, like the what wasn't it President Harry Truman? Somebody told him. Uh, Go give him hell, Harry, and he said, oh, "I just tell the truth. They think it's hell." Um, <laughs> That's it, my grandfather. You're insulting, by the way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> different, different spelling. As, as I was going to say, niceness is my speciality. Yeah. Give it the British pronunciation, just to sort of contextualize with you, Carl. Very good. Very sophisticated sounding. Yeah. Amy's yeah, hopelessly multi, confused uh, now. <laughs> I'm, I'm multicultural. Yeah. Um, well, I, I just, I think perhaps. Part of it is simply that we treat important issues as if they were important and as if the most important thing is not saving the face of purveyors of error. Mm. I think that there's, it seems to me that there's a, a great massive concern that false teachers not be made to look bad, <laughs> that, they, that, that they not be made to feel bad about teaching heresy. You know, it, it's, it's probably not optimal that they teach heresy, but heaven forfend we ever make them feel bad or look <laughs> bad about teaching heresy. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. And I mean, how else do you explain D.A. Carson coming up with his idea about what modern tongues is? You know, with, it, you've seen his tortured explanation of if you take all of the vowels out of a letter, out of a sentence, you take all the vowels out, and then you try to pronounce it without the vowels, and he says, see, that's kind of like modern tongues. Why would a scholar of his prestige come up with that if there's not a motivation there to make sure that charismatics don't feel bad about yeah. doing something for which there's no biblical warrant. Well, he's a very clever chap. I mean, I think we have to take that into account. He's immensely. You don't have to totally trash a whole person to disagree with an right. idea. I think that I think Carson's terrific. I've benefited yeah. from a lot of what he's written. Yeah. But that was a silly thing to say. Absolutely. And you've got to wonder, what's the motivation for doing stuff like that that has the effect of increasing the shelf life of the error mm. because it 
protects the feelings of the purveyor of error. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that we've become maybe a bit over-groomed as an evangelical culture? And it reminds me a lot of the whole um, survey on the moralistic therapeutic deism and the the basic consensus is that God is nice and good people go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. almost as if if we affirm these two things and we're nice, mm-hmm. then, you know, we're all good. Yeah, yeah but define nice. I, I'm not even sure we even know what right. nice means, but right. it, it, except in negative terms. Right. I blame the British. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't think you'll argue with me either, will you, Carl? Uh, I have to apologize at this point. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and, and you bring up a good point, which is the definition can move around depending on uh, whatever uh, personal agenda there is. Um, Clearly we know from scripture that things like, uh, you know, gentleness and kindness are enjoined upon us. Although even that needs to be contextualized because there were times when Jesus was not quote gentle in the way that people generally think of gentleness. Right. Um, Same with Paul. Not at all. Not remotely. Exactly. Whitewashed sepulchers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. How nice is that? Yeah. Vipers. Um, making a whip, um, so, so these these are things that are not typically thought of as 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 gentle. Now the problem with niceness gets even more because first of all the scripture never tells us it enjoins us to be to be nice, so to speak. But it's a thoroughly contemporary uh, sort of uh, um, quality and uh, very difficult to pin down. I guess niceness um, is anything that I am and you're not. Mm-hmm. It's agreeable. Right. But really, mm-hmm. I think what it is is manipulative. Sure and, it is. Um, uh-huh. you, when you think of the, the super nice person that always has that smile on their face, mm-hmm. um, they're kind of controlling, really, with their niceness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and it replaces, uh, well, actually, it drives out any need for polemic. And, and you were getting at that a little bit earlier, Dan. And, and one of the things that, that you and, and Frank and uh, and Phil Johnson, uh, when he was still blogging over at Pyro, one of the things that you all did consistently was you engaged in polemic. And it was yeah. clear that there is no place in respectable uh, evangelicalism for polemics, even though m- large portions of the scripture are polemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the unpardonable sin. You, you can see how we've been blacklisted by those who claim to put the gospel above all else, right. but when somebody who perverts the gospel like P.D. Jakes yeah. uh, comes on the scene, they don't dare say something proactive about it. Uh, right. after, the effect, after the fact, they might tut-tut and clear their throats and say a few you know, words of, of mild remonstration about it, but um, they don't want to... I think Ephesians 4.15, that says, Speaking the truth in love, aims at the balance that we should aim at, and the trouble is we always seem to err in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it doesn't even say speaking the truth. It's a, it's a Greek participle, aletheon test, being truthful in love. Mm-hmm. We should be all about truth. Mm-hmm. The truth should be tempered by love. But I think what a lot of people miss is they, they forget Jesus' hierarchy of love. Jesus doesn't say the first commandment is love the feelings of your neighbor. Right. And the second is like it, love God with all your heart. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. So if I love my neighbor as myself, I'll show him kindness, I'll be fair with him, I won't misrepresent him deliberately, but I love God first. So I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to make it seem as if God's truth is ambiguous or secondary or not critical to make sure that I don't make my colleague look bad. Right. I mean, I think as well, this whole thing is a function of the worldliness of the church. Because if you look at how language has shifted in in the wider world, the language of of hate and of hurt has come to play a significant role in in ethical Mm. discourse. The comment you made was hurtful, or that was hate speech. The idea Mm -hmm. that that what you said was wrong has has disappeared. Uh, Even just recently, the, uh, the... the head of a, a university uh, was was berated for making a comment about sexual assaults that was being described as a hurtful comment. And mm. the point is, it, it doesn't matter whether the comment was hurtful or not. The issue is whether she was actually saying something that's true. Truthful. But yeah. the whole notion of truth has dropped out of contemporary society. And I fear that even in conservative evangelical circles, as we start to ape the aesthetics of the language in the world around us, what we're actually bringing in is the the relativized, emotivist, aesthetic culture of the uh, of the wider world, um, which is really impotent. You know, niceness mm-hmm. is has no power, really. No. no. Um, well, and and you know, I'm, I'm looking over at my library over here, and there's hundreds of books, and I don't see any with the title. Heroic nice people of church history. You know? <laughs> I'm actually yeah, working the great on that movements moment, and reformations <laughs> and the revivals that right. have been started by nice men. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It goes along with the uh, great moderates uh, in history exactly. uh, series. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're just not. They're just not there. You know, Dan, you you referenced earlier um, speaking the truth in love. Uh, perhaps one of the, the most misused uh, scriptures out there, which doesn't even take into account uh, the, the way that the prophets and the apostles and, of course, our Lord um, engaged error, um, mm-hmm. that, that speaking the truth in love does not negate the necessity of polemic at times, of correction right. and confrontation at times, that those well, well, are expressions of love, as you mentioned, for God and for his truth. Amen. That we, yeah, we're, we're called above all to love God, and it is loving to people to tell them the truth right. of God, and it's not loving to people to leave them wallowing in satanic error. Yeah. Uh, when Paul's telling Titus what kind of guys to put in charge of the churches in, in the Crete, um, what does he hold up? First of all, he holds up a, a godly character, and then he says, they've got to be men who have a firm grip on the truth and can shut down right. errorists. Right. Because they subvert whole families, he says. Yes. So in other words, truth heals, error hurts, so shut these guys up. He says to Timothy that, you know, he's got an epistomedzane. He's got to put something on the mouth of these guys. He's mm. got to shut these guys up who are, uh, who are teaching error. Right. I wonder if some part of the solution as well might be, and this is a classic Presbyterian response, I guess, but I wonder if part of the issue is a a recovery of the notion of biblical office. I'm sitting here listening to the conversation, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm agreeing, but on the other hand, you know, if a lady comes up, or even a guy comes up to me from my congregation on Sunday and says, I'm reading this book, Jesus Calling, it's a super book, and it's helpful, I'm going to deal with them in a very gentle and pastoral way. Probably what I'm going to say to them is, I'm I'm glad the Lord has used that book to help you, but I think maybe the Lord's using that book to help you, despite the book itself. Here's a better book. Here's a book by Star Mead that you may find to be a better devotional. 
if somebody who's an elder in my church is handing right. that book out, yeah. I'm going to slap them down. Right. Because right. when you're called to be an elder, when you're called to be a minister of the gospel, the normal rules don't apply. Right. You, you're supposed to be an aspirational model for the rest. And I think if we go back to the T.D. Jakes thing, some of the most nonsensical statements being made about the T.D. Jakes things were, one, you've got to talk to him privately. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I don't. Any yeah. more than if I criticize a politician, I've got to talk to him privately. T.D. Jakes is a public figure. He's a minister of yeah. the gospel. Secondly, right. he's a minister of the gospel, or at least he claims to be so, and therefore can be held to the criteria to which we hold a minister of the gospel. And that doesn't mean that if my 18, 19-year-old son can't give me a coherent answer to the question of the Trinity, I deal with him the same as I deal with T.D. Jakes. Not at all. When you claim competence in a certain area, you claim to be teaching other people, and you teach them error, you need to have your head chopped off to put it really bluntly. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to deal gently with you. I'm going to call you out for the viper and the snake you are. Yeah, which Mm -hmm. is exactly what Jesus did. Yeah, yeah. And yet he Um, dealt so gently with the woman caught in adultery, for example, or the woman, the sinful woman who who, uh, weeps on his feet and and, and wipes them with her hair. Yeah. And it's a very caution that James gives. James says, you know, not many of you should be teachers Mm -hmm. because teachers incur stricter judgment. Right. You're supposed to know that the job has that to go with it when you take the job. I mean, right. you're gonna you're gonna strap on the guns. You gotta expect to be called out. Right. So, and that and teacher, that's got to be. It, well, that and that stricter judgment, Dan. Don't you think also is is not exclusively um, an eschatological reality uh, reserved mm-hmm. only for the last times? Although certainly it's that. But mm-hmm. as, as a teacher, as a as a pastor, I'm, I I sh- I I will incur a stricter judgment here. At least I should. Mm-hmm from my yeah. brethren who will hold me to account if I spout error. Right. Yeah, you're, you're the one who has a list in Scripture of what your character better be like, right. of what kind of qualifications you better have. And God put that out for everybody to see so that they could see what you and I are supposed to live up to, that we're to, you know, to be uh, um, beyond reproach in these categories. Yeah. But there's no list like that for who we're supposed to love and accept as a brother in the body of Christ. Mm, right. These are all traits we're supposed to to um, uh, to pursue, but but they're not required in order to be a Christian, as they are if you're going to set the state, uh, you're going to set set the leadership by mm-hmm. being um, taking that office and taking that position on yourself. It's the principle Jesus says when he says, "To whom much is given, from him much is required." That principle just applies here. You're put in this position of leadership and primarily charged with the job of of um, Keeping the doctrine pure, preaching the word, making sure that that error is rejected, and if you bring error in yourself, well, you better expect to have the house brought down on you. Um, Dan uh, Carl made a statement on a recent uh, thing we recorded where he oh, asks he asks the question, um, "What do you have? What do you have to do as an evangelical today um, to lose credibility?" Yeah. And and as That's we think about as we think about things like uh, plagiarism and and spontaneous baptisms and uh, getting to the top of the New York Times, getting you know, buying buying your way, using your church's money to get to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, uh, building a sixteen thousand square foot mansion, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What, what do you, what do you have to do in evangelicalism to lose credibility? And and do men like you and other ordained men? have a responsibility to point out 
the utter ludicrous nature of, of, of what we're seeing among so many of our appointed leaders, self-appointed except, leaders, that is. Except that's the answer to your question. Mm. That's what you do to, to lose credibility. You point out these yeah. things. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at, like I said, how the Gospel Coalition and all those, those um, the, the elitist types regard the people who blew the whistle on Jake's before right. the fact, and right. who've been blowing the whistle on Driscoll for years right. and the stuff that he said, way long before plagiarism, long charges before that. plagiarism and buying his way on the list, things that weren't, you know, weren't even of that nature that just anybody with a Bible should have right. been alarmed about. But look at the way those people are treated. They're blacklisted. They're marginalized. I mean, the, 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 the elitists can't even see their books, can't even see their sermons, don't even see that they exist. Um, that's what you do. That's the answer to your question. The answer to your question, how do you lose status in modern evangelicalism? You call, call out the people who are promoting error. Yeah. Well, I think I will close up our little barroom chat here with um, a not-so-nice list. I actually got it from the parchment and pen, and it's the top ten reasons the dispensationalists did not cross the road. This is all, this is all for you, Dan. This is all for you. We thought we'd be really nice to you right at the end. Okay, here I go. Number ten. Thought he would be raptured before he got there anyway. Number nine thought that the other side was for the Israel, and this side was for the church. <laughs> Number eight, Charles Ryrie was still on this side of the road, so why cross? Number seven, thought it was pointless since Jesus was just going to bring him back after seven years. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Number six, like the Old Testament prophets and the church age, he was unable to see the other side. And number five, mm. he was afraid that if he went, there would be nothing to restrain the man of lawlessness. Like that look. Are you still there, Dan? Dan, you, you hanging on, buddy? <laughs> Take a swig of that sweet tea. Dan, I got we, a we have more. a reform one as well. We are going to say Dan's that. pulling <laughs> up an airship bag at this point. Yeah, yeah, you've got to have me back for 10 reasons the Amillennialist didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going to end in tears well, anyway. Why bother crossing? everything <laughs> John Lennyless defines everything as being the road and so decides that in a sense he's already across it. So why me? I am not done. (laughs) She's reaching for the nunchucks. uh, (laughs) He was not a part of the dispensation of crossing. Number three, Dallas Theological Seminary hadn't yet published anything telling him how to do it. Number two, thought there was a 2,000 foot gap between the 69th and the 70th step. And the last reason why the dispensationalists did not cross the road is that by taking a consistently literal approach, he thought that cross the road meant something about the crucifixion. (laughs) Okay, that was a good one. Now, Dan, you got got to give us, that was a pretty good shot right there, that last one. Do I? I, Dan, uh, how about I I do this for you? Um... (laughs) Uh, Dan actually is a writer whose work I've, I actually have really enjoyed. Um, World Surprisingly, Tilted, you I'm, it. I'm telling it, it really. I mean, it, in a sea of lots of books with gospel in the title, I, I'm happy to recommend uh, World Tilting Gospel. It really is a helpful book. It's a very good book. It, it, yeah, I, I, I highly recommend. And like I said, there's a million books out there now with gospel in the title, but World Tilting Gospel is a really helpful book. In fact, I I would strongly recommend. Um, you give it to folks. Um, I, I, I found it beneficial 
I, I think that new believers would find it very beneficial. I think it'd be great for, uh, it's, it's essentially, and these are my favorite books. It's essentially just a good study of the scripture. Um, and, uh, I, I would happily, uh, recommend, uh, world tilting gospel. So. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, in fact, you, you actually made me think of something that I wasn't thinking of. If, if you don't mind, I've got a, yeah. another book called God's wisdom and Proverbs yeah. and it's, uh, an introduction to Proverbs, how to read Proverbs, and a, a series of studies of subjects in Proverbs. Um, yep. And I got a letter from this brother who wrote me, and like the first thing he said was, I despise dispensationalism. <laughs> but I really liked your book, The World Tilting Gospel, so I got this, and I really enjoy it. And, I, and I'm going to recommend it to the elders of our church, which despises dispensationalism, <laughs> because... Because I just think it's a really good book, and I just can't believe that you're actually a dispensationalist. I find a lot of people. What a kind thing to say. Yeah. We, right? we can't believe I, it either. It was meant that way. <laughs> I took it as meant that way. <laughs> I, I took it as kindly intended. And well, I think that a lot of people hate what they think dispensationalism yeah. is and not what it actually is, yeah. if I may say that. No, fair enough. Absolutely. Fair enough. Well, I want to. Um to close today's uh, I don't episode. think I'm speaking to you anymore Amy <laughs> <laughs> he's too far away from the nunchucks he's not scared <laughs> alright well once again I will try to end this thing and um, wrap everything up I want to let the listeners know that we are actually giving away um, if you head on over to the Mortification of Spin website we're giving away some copies of our 2013 anthology of our episodes So head on over there, and thank you for listening. This has been Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation that counts. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Remember to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you can sign up for a chance to win a free copy of the MP3 anthology of our first season. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include reformation21.org, the Bible Study Hour, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit MortificationOfSpin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please join the gang again next week and don't forget to enter for your chance to win a free MP3 anthology. Can you hear them rattling? <laughs> oh, yeah.
those, those, those are actually those are real nunchucks They're sitting on the table right oh, here. My. I'm feeling kind of intimidated right now. Actually, that's mm-hmm. the plan. My my. Well, you've got a far more good-looking guy sitting to your right, and you've got Amy sitting opposite <laughs> you. You should be intimidated. I just you know these 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 displays of violence make me very so. very. <laughs> Um, uncomfortable.